All right. Hello and welcome to Pittsburgh Liberation Radio. This is a podcast brought to you by the members of the Pittsburgh branch of the Party for Socialism and Liberation, or PSL. This is Nick here again as host, and today I am joined by Tori Tambellini. Tori is a local union organizer and played a key role in the citywide Starbucks Workers United unionization effort here in Pittsburgh. In July of last year, Tori was wrongfully terminated by the Market Square Starbucks in what can only be described as a flimsy pretext. But the fight to reinstate her is reaching a critical point, and we will be sure to discuss this situation in our conversation today. Tori, thank you for joining Pittsburgh Liberation Radio. Can you just please introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks so much. My name is Tori Tambellini. I worked at Starbucks for two years before uh, workers at my store started hearing about the unionization efforts in Buffalo. And we knew that our store had a lot of problems related to health and safety and um, we knew that that was a time that that was an opportunity for us to have our voices heard. And we knew exactly what we had to do and that it was in our best interest to join the movement. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I think we definitely want to talk about today is just that this isn't just a local thing with Starbucks. This is national. And I think we should talk about what the state of that looks like. But, you know, I am um, interested in just hearing about how you made some of these connections across the city, because as I mentioned in the intro, it was really a citywide effort. It wasn't confined to just one branch. So how did you go about communicating and organizing uh, with all these different sites, I guess we'll say? Totally. So uh, Starbucks Workers United is a very worker-led movement, but at the very beginning, like obviously nobody that works at Starbucks is a professional organizer. Nobody had ever done anything like this before. So at the very start, it was us being kind of trained by staff. So the way that my store got in contact and I think the Bloomfield store got in contact with Workers United is that union staff member literally walked into our stores and said, hey, what do you guys think about the union? And we were like, um, this is definitely a corporate spy. So I don't know how to answer that. And then we ended up making like, at my store, at least, we made a burner email address under a fake name and reached out to Workers United. And it turned out that the Bloomfield store, the Amos Hall store and the Craig Street store were also doing this at the same time. So from there, we started each store individually started having weekly meetings with a union staff organizer, and they kind of trained us on how to organize our stores, how to have conversations with people and what we needed to do to file for an election and win the vote count. And then once they trained us on how to organize our own stores, we started doing the same for other partners throughout the city. So I helped organize the baristas at the Peters Township store. Jake helped organize the baristas at... Um, the Liberty and Bomb store and the East Side store. So it was kind of like we were like a few original stores were trained by staff. And then we went on to train the other baristas as well. So I think the first time I met most of the other baristas was at a um, a rally outside of the Bloomfield store with some like local politicians and labor allies. And that's how we first got in touch. And now most of the people from the Bloomfield store are like my best friends. Oh, that's really cool that you were able to make those connections. And you know, I'm sure there's a lot of common ground uh, as you get into these conversations. So can you talk a little bit about like what are the kind of the common motivating forces for everybody that you met in terms of unionization? Totally. I think I've talked to like hundreds of Starbucks stores across the country and most stores have generally the same issues. So a lot of times the big one is the labor cuts. Like a lot of times when the holidays are around and it's pumpkin spice season. We have plenty of stopping during those times. But as soon as it's not pumpkin spice season anymore, business starts to die down a little bit. 
and people's hours are getting cut from like maybe 40 hours to like 20, 15 hours. And the thing about Starbucks is that, you know, they go and they brag about how they're such a progressive company and they're leading the industry with the benefits that they offer. But what they won't tell you is that to qualify for those benefits, you have to work at least 20 hours a week. So if your manager decides like tomorrow that they don't like you, they can cut your hours down to 10 hours a week and you lose your benefits. You lose everything. Um, you lose your Arizona state tuition benefits if you use that. Gender affirming care is on the line for a lot of people as well. So hour cuts are a big one and we see it happen every single year. So there's that. And there's also just general wages. Nobody at Starbucks makes enough money to deal with the things we deal with on a daily basis. And a lot of times we just see people getting straight up disrespected by their store managers or by like management in general. We've seen a lot of instances of microaggressions and discrimination throughout this company. And we're trying to hold Starbucks accountable. None of us are doing this because we hate Starbucks and we want to see them fail. We're doing this because we love this company and we want it to see the best. We want to see it be the best that it can be. Like they talk about being a progressive company and standing with the LGBTQ community and standing with their non-white workers, but we want to actually hold them accountable to that when they're not currently being held accountable right now. So I think that's a really common issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as workers, just to your point, we shouldn't apologize for asking for a decent living, a decent wage benefits, because there is a calculation that goes on there uh, in terms of, well, this person is really on you know, the edge and you know, if we don't have to give them benefits, that saves our bottom line. People have to understand that this is a calculation that's going on inside the heads of the people that run these businesses, and it's a matter of dollars and cents. And we just need these mechanisms to help protect us against those kind of considerations because you know, it's always we say here, we need to put people over profit, not the reverse, right? And unions are a great way to help that. <laughs> Totally. And Starbucks, ironically, calls their calls their employees partners, like <laughs> that we're like partners in the company just because they give us each like a singular stock of Starbucks for every year that you work at the company. And that's how they justify calling us partners. And they have that whole corporate like we're a family here type of vibe. But when it comes down to it, everyone's just a number at this company. And I think that like the past few years made us realize that more than ever, like when they took the COVID related benefits away from us in like October of 2020, and none of us were ready for that. Everyone that I know that worked at Starbucks during that time was still struggling and still needed those benefits. So whenever we saw them being taken away from us, we were like, whoa, this company doesn't care about us. This is crazy. And we also have all these other issues. I think that's what really sparked the movement. Yeah. And just to continue in that vein a little bit, you know, Howard Schultz, I think he was the former CEO now, right? Yes. Um, I don't know what that status has to do with the current state of the national unionization effort, but you saw kind of the mask slip off if you were paying attention at all when he was speaking to Congress, et cetera, et cetera. So can you speak to his role a little bit in all this as the CEO? He actually came back to be CEO. It seemed like really coincident with this rising tide of unionization. Totally. Howard Schultz, like now having been in the same room as him during that Senate hearing is just one of the like slimiest billionaires I've ever met <laughs> Like in my entire life. He didn't even look like a real person. He looked like a like a wax figure or something. It was wild. But yeah, Howard Schultz claims to be the founder of this company. He actually wasn't the founder of this company. It's a common like misconception about him or at least something that I think he likes to imply to people. He didn't actually found the company. He 
bought it from some people in Seattle who wanted it to be like a small local chain. They never wanted it to be like a fast food giant billion dollar corporation. Um, but he claims to have all these visions for how he's going to take care of his partners and all the great things he's going to do. And he talked a lot about that in the Senate hearing. And he talks a lot about making, wanting to make Starbucks the kind of company that his dad would have been proud to work for. And I, we all think that that's really ironic because a lot of us do have families that we're taking care of and are really struggling to take care of based on the wages and the benefits that he's offering. Um, I know that he was really, really offended when senators during the hearing called him a billionaire. He started talking about how like, I, nobody gave me my billion dollars. I earned it. And we were all sitting in the room. I think there were audible laughs during that part of the hearing. Like, obviously, you didn't earn your billion dollars. You stole it from the partners at your stores. And overall, it was it's just, he's just a very slimy person who I think has really let his ego get in the way of all of this. We look at, like, how much it would cost Starbucks to have unions in their stores and fair, pay us fair wages and give us the benefits that we deserve. And it's Starbucks can very obviously afford that. But I don't even think it's about the money or the cost, the monetary cost to Starbucks. It's about Schultz's ego. He has this vision and unions aren't in that vision, according to him. I th and I think that the new CEO that has replaced him is really just like a puppet for him. Like you listen to him talk and you can tell that they have like the same script writer too. So I don't think that the union busting is going anywhere. We had some hope in the beginning, like maybe this new CEO will maybe change his tone and want to bargain with the union, but he doesn't seem to be any better. He seems to be just a puppet for Howard Schultz. And all the partners can feel that like, even if Howard Schultz isn't technically the CEO anymore, he's always like there lurking in the shadows. Pulling the strings, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's amazing. And you touched on something, but you can make it make sense. It seems like, it, you know, you can say, we can give people these benefits and actually doesn't cost that much money. It's probably costing us more to fight all these cases, Absolutely. wrongful termination, all these yeah. legal processes that we have to go through. But, you know, I think what really comes out is that it's, it's really not what it's about. It's about maintaining kind of control over the workers. You know what I mean? It seems like a disciplinary mechanism more than anything, right? For sure. Like maintaining that status quo. And ironically, in Starbucks's mission and values statement, one of the lines was in their core mission and values was challenge the status quo. Um, <laughs> they recently changed their entire mission and value statement to not include that because I think all the union partners challenged the status quo way too hard, way more than they expected us to. But I, I do think it's a lot about like maintaining the status quo. And like I say that to my partners that I'm helping to organize, like a lot of the time, like it's not just about Market Square. It's not about Starbucks. There are other workers in other industries that are looking at Starbucks and being like, we could do that too. Like that could be us. Right. A lot of people are watching to see what's going to happen with the Starbucks campaign and maybe make moves based on that, or at least that's what I'm hoping is going to happen. Absolutely. So with that said, what is the state of the national campaign right now? What are the challenges? What are the victories? And where do we stand right now on a national level? For sure. Um, we have... We just hit 300 stores. I think we might actually be up to 312 right now. We have a total of 12 union stores in Pittsburgh, and that's out of the 33 total stores in the greater Pittsburgh area. So we're doing good here. Um, our movement encompasses nearly 8,000 partners, which is really exciting to say. And Starbucks has still been refusing to bargain all across the country. 
Um, they are claiming that because we have like a Zoom screen open to include members of our national bargaining committee at each session across the country, that we are illegally broadcasting bargaining sessions, which is just absolutely ridiculous to us. Um, obviously, we're not. They're claiming that we're recording bargaining sessions, but I could literally be doing that on my phone at any time. So it's just kind of a silly, silly accusation there. What else was I going to say? Uh, there were a few bargaining sessions just recently where stores in each region went on strike for one bargaining table in their region. Uh, we just did that in Pittsburgh. We had four stores on strike so that we could bring as many people as possible to our bargaining table, which is technically for the East Side store. But we wanted to bring as many partners there as we could just to show Starbucks that like, okay, fine, we'll close the Zoom screen, but we're going to bring everyone here in person. <laughs> so there's that. And I think overall, like outside of bargaining, the campaign's definitely definitely keeping me busy. I've definitely hadn't had a boring day since I started organizing at my store. And like I said, this is like a worker-led movement. It's been very, very learn as we go. But it almost seems that at the same rate that we are learning to organize, Starbucks is learning how to anti-organize at that same kind of rate. So it's definitely become more difficult, but we're still still winning elections. We're still keeping up the pace and even like moving faster this month than we were last month. We filed at I want to say 12 stores in April and we are set to beat that number in May. Amazing. That's great. And thank you for the update there. And, you know, we'll be, you know, supporting and rooting for everyone uh, where we can. Now, just because you did mention that it seems like they're kind of honing their skills in terms of resisting unionization efforts, right? And fighting back in the wrong way, right? Usually we say fight back in the positive sense. We don't want to say that in the positive sense for Starbucks. But, you know, I know you personally uh, experienced some of this anti-union activity. As we mentioned kind of in the intro, you were terminated from the Market Square Starbucks last July, I believe. So can you talk about, you know, what the, I guess, the motivations as you see it were for that and what you're doing with fellow organizers to fight to be reinstalled and where that all stands right now? For sure. Yeah, I think that... Starbucks definitely knew towards the end of my time there that I was helping other stores to organize. And I think that that's Starbucks. The thing that Starbucks is most afraid of is the union movement, like spreading to other stores. So I always tell people, like, if they're scared of getting fired, like, you shouldn't worry too much about it. Like, I think I was just like an extreme case in some kind of in some ways. Um, I got an internship with Workers United. I was helping stores in Pittsburgh organize. And I was also helping stores in Washington, D.C. file for union elections. And I think Starbucks saw that and they did not they did not like it. They knew I was an intern with Workers United. And I had done a lot of public speaking, a lot of media. And I think in a way, I had almost kind of unintentionally become one of the faces of the movement in Pittsburgh. A lot of baristas at a lot of stores knew me, whether or not they were union, because I just I covered shifts at a lot of stores just whenever the company told me to. So I think that they thought that by firing me, it would show other people like, oh, look, Tori was a shift supervisor and everyone liked her, but she, you know, she did this whole union thing and now she's gone. So I think they did it kind of to make a show out of it. And for a while, people were really scared. I don't think we saw another store file for an election in Pittsburgh for months afterwards. So I think it really, it really scared people a lot. Um, I think half the city was really afraid to organize anymore. And the other half was really mad. And there were a couple of stores that went on strike when I was terminated. But since then, the stores have really built back and built back even stronger. Market Square is back to having like nearly unanimous support of the union at that store. And I know we have really strong stores. Every other store in the city is also really strong. So 
Um, we had our trial on January 23rd for myself, Kimberly Manfrey, who was also fired at my store, and Brett Tavarelli and Jimmy Green, who were fired from the Penn Center East store in Monroeville. I think we absolutely crushed them in court. I can't spill too many details until we have trial results. Sure. But I will say, I think we crushed them. I think that they came into it with no plan, it seems like, despite the Starbucks lawyers making like $600 an hour. They appeared to be very, very unprepared, which makes me very confident that we were go- that we were going to win. I think I was confident whether whether or not the Littler Mendelssohn lawyers knew what they were doing. I knew I was going to like win eventually, but it feels like our odds the odds are really in our favor for it. And we're hoping to have results by the end of May. And I cannot wait to be back on the shop floor fighting for a contract with my coworkers. I'm very excited. No, that's great. And I'm glad that you have such a positive sense of that. You know, obviously we're all rooting for a good outcome there. But it's it's really funny that you say that you had that impression that they were prepared after all of the money that they pour into fighting this. It's like you think you would have like at least the the wherewithal to show up with half of an effort, right? Yeah. I don't know what so I have one friend, Jake Welsh from the Bloomfield store. I don't know what he said during his testimony, but afterwards when the lawyers were all in their little witness room, we could hear one of the Starbucks lawyers like shouting from in the witness room, well, well, those union people, they can go kick rocks. And it sounded like she was crying. <laughs> and I've been cackling about that ever since. Anytime I'm sad, I think about that professional rock kicker extraordinaire on my resume. That's incredible. I'm going to actually memory bank that one as well because that's you without being directly involved that is fantastic <laughs> that's great well all the best on that and uh please do keep us posted and you know hopefully we can update the listeners and you know maybe we'll have you back sometime in the future we can get another update on what's going on but you know i do want to talk a little bit more um just about the unionization fight broadly you already mentioned it. It's not just confined to Starbucks. There's Amazon, right? There's other coffee shops in Pittsburgh. You know, yeah. unionization fights going on right now. A couple of our comrades in the PSL, Kit and Nico, among others, fought to organize La Prima. Um, and I asked those comrades, I had them on a couple months ago um, to talk about kind of, we had a similar conversation to what we're doing right now. And I asked them the same question. So I wanted to get your take on it. But how do you see your particular struggle in relation to the bubblings of this rising tide of labor across the country? Yeah, I think the reason why this fight like feels so important to me is because so many of us that are like my in my age group, like mid 20s and even older than that and even younger than that. I think most people in America actually have spent their entire lives watching politicians on TV make like a lot of empty promises and nothing ever gets done. And I think that people ask me a lot, like what makes the younger generation so willing to join unions? And I think it's that we've realized that no one's coming to save us. Like we, if we want to have a $15 minimum wage or a $20 minimum wage, like politicians aren't going to vote that in. We have to kind of do it ourselves and we have to be fighting this fight for ourselves and for the other workers at coffee shops and other food service industry places. And I think it's just that like, we realize that the only thing left to do is stand up for ourselves and each other because nobody else is like going to do it for us a lot of the times. So I think that's really important and what motivates a lot of a lot of people in the Starbucks Workers United movement. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's right. I think that's it's just kind of like the material conditions, this realization that neither one of these parties are really seem like they're going to help us at all, going to help the working class at all. And so I think that that is why you see all of these efforts kind of rising up as people realize that, hey, 
we have to help ourselves. And it's funny that you framed it that way because I just as a little personal anecdote, I have a an aunt that I'm very fond of. And we were talking about politicians, democratic politicians. And she asked me about this person, that person. And I was like, yeah, they don't really excite me. And she was at one point, she was like, well, what does excite you? I was like, workers organizing, basically, yeah. <laughs> like unionizing, <laughs> joining parties, getting together and fighting. Like, I'm not going to get excited about uh, any one politician at this point in time. So it's just funny that you framed it that way, because <laughs> really? I just had this conversation two weekends ago. Yeah. So, you know, obviously you've got some significant experience at this point um, and you really had to learn on the go. You and, you know, the rest of the folks around here had to learn on the fly. So what are some lessons learned that you think you could impart to a listener who may be working on or considering starting um, their own unionization effort? That's a good question. I think uh, something that I didn't really anticipate whenever I first started is how much of like a union community there is in Pittsburgh. Like Pittsburgh is like the best place to be organizing. Um, I feel like immediately after starting, I really just felt the solidarity within the entire labor movement. And it was something that came as a surprise to me, I guess, just because I didn't really know anything about unions before I started. And the other thing is just like organize with confidence, because if you are confident when you're having conversations with your coworkers, it's going to it's going to inspire them to be confident as well. Whereas if you go into a conversation kind of nervous it's going to make them a little bit nervous. Um, So that's one big lesson that I've learned. Yeah, having organizing committees that are representative of all workers, like having diversity within their organizing committee so that everybody feels heard. And I think the biggest thing that makes that's made us successful, especially in Pittsburgh, is that we use the learn it, do it, teach it model. So like I was talking about earlier, it was us learning from staff, like those first few stores learning from staff, teaching it to other baristas and then teaching other baristas how to teach it to their coworkers and people at new stores. So like learn it, do it, teach it is what we always say. Yeah. So you're perpetuating that. It's not just you kind of retaining all that knowledge. And that's something that we see, you know, I think in in the workplace, sometimes it's like rather than passing skills along, it's like you're kind of taught to like hoard this because it makes you valuable. That idea is kind of the antithesis of that way of looking at it, right? Where it's like, hey, we're all in this together again. For sure. Yeah. Like we all have a common goal here. And I think that the thing that the Starbucks managers and Starbucks CEO is like most scared of is that we aren't going to like let each other down and that we are going to like continue to care about each other no matter what. And we're not going to like step on each other's toes to try and get promoted to assistant store manager and whatever, whatever. We're all going to stand here and genuinely care about each other instead of falling forward, instead of playing their silly little corporate games. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess as we start to look to wrap up here, can you let anybody know, um, now, how folks locally can support you, your efforts, and what the next steps are for you guys locally here, and again, how the community can get involved. Totally. Yeah. So we have a couple ways that you can support, and I have like links to it that I can send to you. Um, it is the no contract, no coffee pledge, and it's basically just telling the company that you stand with the workers and not with the not with the company, but with the workers instead. And we also have like a solidarity fund, which goes to fired workers like myself. Fired organizers from Starbucks can apply for like a $2,500 stipend if they are terminated or face something like um, hour cuts as retaliation. So we have that and 100% of that goes to the workers. And the last thing is just like stay tuned on our Twitter. A lot of times we don't fight. We actually never post our strikes like ahead of time because managers will just immediately scab the stores. So we try to be really private about the strikes, but stay tuned. Uh, keep an eye on our Twitter and we'll let, we'll post to there when we have our next picket line. 
Yeah, and send all those links, and I'll be sure to post them in the episode description so our listeners can get them. Just for my part, you know, if you do see something or you stumble upon a strike, don't cross the picket line. (laughs) Support the workers. Yeah, I don't care how bad you need your venti iced caramel macchiato. We need a living wage. (laughs) There's other places you can get coffee as well. You know, just have some solidarity. Um, Help if you can, of course. But just again, if you see an action ongoing, just personal support in that moment. Uh, I'm sure I don't want to speak for you, Tori, but I'm sure that means just as much as a donation in some ways. Definitely, definitely. So, well, Tori, I mean, that was all I really had in terms of questions. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? The only thing I can think of is that I just want to give a shout out to the striking Pittsburgh Post-Gazette journalists. We stand in solidarity with them and they've been some of our some of our best allies in the past few months. And we're really lucky to have them as union allies in Pittsburgh. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. Yeah, that's crucial. It's not just Starbucks. It's not just the writers. It's all of us together, right? Totally. Great. Well, Tori, thanks so much for joining us on Pittsburgh Liberation Radio. Like I said, we'll hopefully have you on in the future again to get another update on the state of the unionization effort in Starbucks. For PSL, you know, you can find us on Instagram at PSL Pittsburgh. You can also get added to our mailing list at pslpittsburgh at gmail.com. We do have a few events upcoming on Saturday, May 20th. We'll have a picket for PNC to stop banking the bomb. That'll be from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. at the Bloomfield PNC. That's on Liberty Ave. And then on May 23rd, we will be welcoming the IFCO Pastors for Peace Cuba Solidarity Caravan to Pittsburgh. The caravan will be stopping by at 6 p.m. at the Wilkins School, which is on Charleston Ave in Regent Square. And the funds raised by this caravan will be raised to bring critical medical supplies to Cuba in defiance of the U.S.-imposed blockade of the island. As always, thank you for listening, and we hope to see you on the streets. Solidarity.